Dear friend, our text today is Luke chapter 10. We're walking through verses 1 through 16 this morning. There's three things that I think we see within this passage. We, we, see, a, we see a method, we see a message, and we see a, a warning. And this, this method that is given is, is God's method. It is the Lord's method. It is the Master's method that is being brought forward through His, his messengers, even His ambassadors. These He is commissioning to go forward and accomplish His good purpose. And the expectation is that they would walk forward in obedience and do what they are doing, not in their own wisdom, not in a, a worldly wisdom, not, not through what seems best to them within their cultural setting at this time, or what the people that are there would most appreciate and desire, but rather to do this And the way in which the Lord instructs them to do it here at this time. And there's something to recognize there, that the Lord gives His people particular ways of working and acting in particular times. And we need to be mindful of the time that we are in and how the Lord has called us and instructed us to act in this time. He's not asking for our creativity. He's not asking us to use our worldly wisdom. He's not asking us to come up with our best ideas and what we can contrive and put forward. No, the Lord is calling His people to use His methods. We, we see the message as well. This is God's message. The messengers are bringing forward the message that the Lord has given to them. This is not the message that the people necessarily want to hear. There are people they will go to and bring this message to that will not desire this message. They will turn away from this message. They will despise this message. They could make adjustments to the message. They could soften it up a little bit. They could, they could carve off the, the difficult edges, and they could make it more appealing to the people that they are bringing it to. But that would no longer be the Master's message. Now, they would be using their own worldly wisdom. God's not asking them to come up with a new message. He's declaring, He's telling them to bring forward His message. They're serving as ambassadors. And an ambassador is one who is representing a kingdom, a a, a sovereign, a, a ruler. And it's the role of the ambassador to represent the sovereign well, to represent the leadership well, to represent the country that he's representing properly. That's the key of an ambassador. And the message that is given is the one that comes from the sovereign, from the king, from the president in our, in our context. Lastly, we see a warning. We see, see God's warning here. A warning to those that do not heed the message that is brought forward. A warning to those that do not receive God's messengers. Those who despise God's ambassadors. Those who are going forward and bringing God's message through God's method. Those who despise. Those who refuse are given a warning here that there are drastic, significant, and eternal consequences for despising God's message through God's methods. 
Worldly men have all kinds of ideas of how it is they believe that the church should operate. All kinds of ideas on how it is that they believe that God should be represented, but God is not asking for their opinion. God is not asking for their insight. He's not asking for people to share their ideas and how it is that they believe He should best run His church. No, the Lord is sovereign. The Lord is ruling over His creation. And these are men that are going forward. Just that K. Russo, that declaration, that proclamation of the Lord's message. And to all who will listen, who will, who will be mindful of the kingdom of God, who will be mindful of the declaration of the king, who will be mindful of what the word of God says, who will recognize the great natural state that humanity is in, the, the terrible state that humanity is in, in their natural form as they come forward. Recognize the wages of sin is death, that man coming forward is not in a good position, is not in a right standing with God. Man is heaping up for himself each and every day that he walks in disobedience. He is heaping upon himself more and more of the judgment of God. And as God even blesses that man financially with comforts, with possessions, sinful man will use even those blessings comforts, finances, possessions, education. will use even those things to sin against God even more. No, man's problem is a spiritual problem. Man's problem is deep within his heart. He must recognize that he has broken God's law. He has sinned against God greatly. But the Lord has, made a me- has given away, has made a means whereby man can be saved. If he will but see his sin, he will see the greatness of his sin. If he will listen to this warning and repent and turn to Christ, he will in no way be cast out. Christ will receive all who come to him. There is sufficient grace. There is sufficient grace in Christ Jesus to forgive all of your sins. If you will but come to Him and believe upon Him and trust in Him, He will give you life. He will give you life abundantly. So this is what we see, the, the, the messenger's method, the messenger's message, and the messenger's warning. This is our instruction as a church, and this is our instruction as Christians to be mindful of the method, the message, and the warning. Let's, let's look at the, the, the messenger's method. We see that here in the first seven verses of Luke chapter 10. As these men are going forward and they are announcing the kingdom of God being among them, the fact that Christ Jesus is there among them, the fact that the one who was prophesied so early in the pages of Scripture, the one that was prophesied the one who would come forward, a child of the woman, and would crush the head of the serpent, as it says in Genesis 3.15, that declaration that the Lord gave, that promise of grace that the Lord gave right after Adam and Eve fell, that promise that is there, that there is one who will come, a child of the woman. The Lord has a plan. The Lord will send another representative for humanity. For Adam fell, 
and great was the fall, and all who were in Adam fell with him, but in Christ, Christ, that greater federal head, that one who walked in obedience, there is grace, and there is blessing, and that is the declaration that they are bringing forward. The kingdom has come. This Messiah is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Let's look at the method that they are instructed to use as messengers of the Lord. It says this, beginning in verse 1 of Luke 10, after the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of Him two by two in every town and place where He Himself was to go, He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest." Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. These are men that were commissioned by the Lord. These are men who were sent out in in groups of two, and they had a message that they were bringing forward. We have a very significant um, textual variant here. Um, It's actually so significant that we don't actually know for sure if it was 70 people or 72 people. We have two different lines of manuscripts coming down, and some of them say 70, and some of them say 72, and this is one of the the more significant variants that we have uh, within the text. But whether it be 70 or whether it be 72, and even as I preach, I may switch in between the two because oftentimes it's just referred to as the 70, but the ESV here says 72. It's not really relevant whether it was 70 or 72 or whether it was 70 and it was rounded to 72 or specifically it's not very significant there. Well, there's a precedent even in the Old Testament for it being either 70 or 72, but these are men who are going out. They're being sent to by two. This is possibly even the, uh, the office of evangelist that we see within the New Testament. These that were going forward, uh, sharing the good news of Christ, sharing the gospel with others, doing even miracles for those as they went forward. But we see the wisdom here in going out two by two. They didn't just go out individually. And there's wisdom even in, in ministry, in, in working in teams, in, in, in working uh, together. We can see wisdom of this in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has, another, has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And there's wisdom in, in, in serving in pairs or in a plurality. I think we see that even in eldership, that the desire should be to have a plurality of 
elders, the reality is that your, your strengths many times are your weaknesses, and the Lord will bless a church with multiple elders because you have people with different gifts and different personalities and, and different perspectives even. And I can tell you there's many times over that I have been blessed by serving with Pastor Fry as one who is gifted in ways uh, that I'm not, as, as one who is able to see things from perspectives that I'm not able to see them. It is foolish to think that you can just walk forward alone. As I said, your strengths many times are your weaknesses, and so you need others to support you and guide you. And there's also a wisdom here, and that is that you have two witnesses going forward. You have two people going forward making a declaration of what Jesus has said. Two people are, are, are attesting to this. We see that wisdom in Deuteronomy 19 and 15. It says, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. And there's not a charge here that's being established, but there's wisdom here in having another person that is saying, like, this is, this is wise, this is good. Um, this is something that I heard as well, you see famous pairs in the Scriptures, Paul and Barnabas. Even Paul was not just seeking to go out on his own. He was going out with, with others. And one of the keys that you have here in going out in pairs or working in teams or working with other people is the requirement that you be able to work with other people that you're taking into consideration the other person. You're taking into consideration the other person's gifts and abilities, their weaknesses, and the same for yourself. And there is a wisdom there that exists within working with other people. It is a detriment to many that have not the ability to work with others or to work in a team or are merely seeking to fly solo. But these are men who are going forward, and they are, they are announcing the kingdom of Christ they are announcing, they are declaring Christ's rule. They are announcing what Jesus is doing. And they are being sent forward like, like heralds, like those that would go forward prior to a king coming into a town. They're the ones that are they're calling people to make preparation. Be prepared for the king is coming. You remember, we already had a great herald that began the pages of this gospel, and that was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was that herald that was prophesied in the book of Malachi, that he would come forward, that Elijah to come would be coming forward, would be announcing the Messiah. And that was John the Baptist, and he was that great herald, and he was calling the people to repent. He was calling the people to see their sin, to recognize their, their need of this Messiah. What use was it to the people? What use, what good was Jesus to the people if they saw not their sin? What use was Jesus to the people if he was merely just going to rubber stamp all their religious legalism? If he was just going to rubber stamp all of their idolatry, what, what good would such a Messiah be? No, dear friend, you have got to see the bad news before you can see the good news. You have got to see the reality of your natural state. You have got to see the consequences of sin upon you. 
It's not, the gospel is not just pray this after me so that you can go to heaven. The gospel is not, here, just do these things and then you'll have your fire insurance and you can live your life however you want. No, the gospel requires that you see the bad news. The gospel requires that you see your fallen state, that you see your need of the Messiah. And that's what they're doing. They're going forward into these towns where Jesus is going to come. And they're telling them to make preparation. They're telling them to get ready. They're telling them to recognize their need of Christ, to recognize their their need of this Messiah. And are they going forward like a military armed with weapons, armed to, to fight their way to to, to defeat the other rulers in these cities? Are they going forward in, with violence and, and bloodshed? No, they are not. It's not that kind of battle. It's not that kind of war. This is a, a spiritual war. The cause of Christ is not furthered through warfare. And I'm not being a pacifist. The Lord accomplishes many things through warfare. There are right and legitimate times to use violence There are times where if violence is not used, it would actually be sinful. Think about it. If if you believe what the Lord says when He says, do not murder, then you recognize that life should be preserved, life should be protected. And what is it saying about your belief that life should be protected if one is causing violence on another and you could stop that and you do nothing? You just put your hands up. Now, there are legitimate times to use violence. There are legitimate times to use warfare. But we must keep this separated. We must understand that the work of the church, the gospel work, the declaration of of the kingdom of God is not brought forward, is not made manifest, is not brought into being through weapons of warfare. No, the battle is in the heart the battle is, is in the mind. It is, it is a, a battle where we are making a declaration. We are using certain methods. That's what you need to see here in this first point, that Jesus is giving them certain methods, and they are expected to use those methods for the glory of God because He has told them to do it. They're not doing this because this makes the most sense to them in first century context. What they are doing doesn't make sense in a first century context in many ways. What, the, what we are doing doesn't make sense according to the spirit of our age. But that's not how the Lord works. The spirit of an age changes from generation to generation. Things change as people come and go. But the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and His ways are not our ways, and they are being sent out. They are being commissioned by Jesus, it says, as lambs in the midst of wolves. Like the Israelites that were going forward into the wilderness, and they were surrounded by pagans. They were surrounded by those that despised them. But the Lord gave them commandments. The Lord told them how they were to go forward There are tactics of warfare that were used by the Israelites that would be completely ridiculous if you tried them today. Outside of the Lord commanding you to use those tactics, it would be completely absurd. Think of Jericho. 
march around the city blowing trumpets and shouting? You would die. They would destroy. This was the Lord's method. Why? Let's just imagine, what is the reason why the Lord would give such a method? So that when they finished at the end of the week, and the walls fell, and the Israelites defeated Jericho, who would say, well, it was just the wisdom of those Israelites that came up with this great plan to to march around a city and to cause the walls to come down? No, no one would say that. It's such an absurd instruction from a worldly perspective that you can do nothing but give God the glory for the victory. And the same is true with the methods here that the Lord is giving, sending them out, taking, taking nothing with them, taking no money, taking no weapons. Now, this is what we're always told to do. We're not to take this, this, this instruction here and apply it to everyone everywhere anytime they go out in ministry, anytime, anywhere, when someone goes out in, in missions in some way, because we will see many chapters later that the Lord gives a different instruction. We will see the Lord say, well, if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and have a sword, because there are robbers that are out there. Well, there's, a, there's some evidence that Jesus wasn't a pacifist, but even the using of the sword against a robber at that time, even the protection of someone else's life was not for the purpose of furthering the kingdom of God or, or defeating a people so that Christ would reign there. You could take down a people with the sword. You could cause the people to, to begin to, to, to say things that are orthodox or declare things that are orthodox. That doesn't mean that you have changed their heart. Now, these are, this is spiritual. These are spiritual methods that must be used in this picture of, of, of sheep amongst wolves is a, a picture of even the church in a culture, as a picture of the church, let's be honest, in, in each and every age and the weapons that they are using, the ones that are here are spiritual. It's like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3. He talks about these weapons of warfare that the Christian minister uses, these weapons of warfare that the church is using in, in, in bringing the kingdom of God forward and making a declaration of Christ and His rule. 2 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For, our wep- for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. These weapons are spiritual. They are declaring this truth. They are declaring this message. They are using the Lord's method and trusting God for the outcome. And that's what we must do as well. We must be a people that walk by faith and not by sight. God is asking us to be obedient to His Word He's not asking us to scheme and, and f- figure how, how best to bring about God's rule in the world. God is sovereign. God has called animals to speak His truth. God has raised kings up. God has brought kings down. God has taken rulers of empires and brought them down so that they are grazing on grass like animals and then raised that same ruler back up and placed them upon His throne. 
We do not need to fret about what the Lord is going to do. We do not need to fret about what is going to happen. We can trust God. We can walk in obedience. They're commanded here to bring no provisions, to, to eat whatever is, is brought to them. They are, there, there is, it seems here that there is a that they're not required to follow the Jewish dietary restrictions at this time. That's from the best of what I can see here. They are not required. They're going to be around Jews and Gentiles as they're going out to these various cities. And he's saying, eat what is before you. You you don't need to ask any questions. You don't need to consider what it is. You don't need to try to see if it's following this restriction or that restriction or that requirement. Eat what's before you. It says go, don't go from house to house to, to come forward. The, the purpose here is not for them to try to gain and find better provisions, better housing. If someone gives you a place to stay, take that. Yeah, hospitality is something that I, is, 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 is very abundant within this church. Overwhelmingly, I've seen people that are so hospitable. I can tell you that hospitality is something that we experienced when we went down to Costa Rica last year. And we went down there, and there were houses that were opened. And we were there, and we were able to um, have provisions, have comforts. People went through a lot of trouble that we could be, be comfortable, e- even in the evening as we were sleeping. And there were rooms with air conditioning. And we were very, very blessed by this because we're a little bit spoiled, let's be honest. And we're, we're Texans, and we're used to having our air conditioners on at night. And they, they were very careful to make sure that we had, we had food and we had transportation. And we had just many of the things that we're, we're accustomed to. But imagine this. Imagine if while we were there, we stayed in one house. And then we saw an opening and said, oh, well, maybe I'll go stay in this house over here now. Would that not have been offensive to the person that, was, that I was just staying in? The person had gone and provided a place for me to stay. The person had provided provisions for me. That would be offensive. And the same is true here. Like, accept what is given. Accept what the person grants to you. Don't be trying to move yourself around because you're not there ultimately for your comfort and for your ease. You're not there to attain for yourself wealth. You're there to bring forward this message through this method because there's a harvest. That's what Jesus is promising here. Through the method that Jesus commands them to walk through, there will be a harvest. He says this, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into the harvest. This is, this is a, a, a crucial point. This is a, a hope that they have that God is promising that if you will use these methods that I am giving you, there will be a harvest. They don't have to fret. They don't have to be concerned. They don't have to stress over whether or not they're, they're, they're doing this the best way that this person wants them to do it. They can trust in God's methods. And dear, dear church, we need to trust in God's methods overwhelmingly overwhelmingly the church in this culture, we need to trust in God's methods, trust in in God's provision in what He has given to us. The Lord has blessed us with our Lord Jesus Christ, has blessed us with the grace that He has given to us. 
We, we must not look and lust after the things of the world. We must not look after, after Egypt and say, well, oh, if only we had this or that, we can see the greatness and the glories of what is there in Christ Jesus for all who will come to Him. We can trust in God's methods. Cultures change. Some cultures are more Christian. Some cultures are less Christian. God doesn't change. God is exactly the same. And the Lord has commanded that we use His methods, that His messengers use His methods. There's a key there. These messengers that are called, commissioned by Christ, there's a need for them. We see that need Lastly, in this, this method that, that is given here, this need for messengers, for, for workers that would go forward and the necessity that is there, that such people be qualified, such people be called, such people be commissioned, not doing their own thing, but being called rightly. Dear friends, there's a great many people that will say, well, you know, I've just… I just have a call in my life. I just, I just feel that, that I should go into ministry. I, should, I feel called in this way. And that's a good thing. That's an internal calling. It's an external calling as well. There, there must be a recognition from other people and most especially from the church leadership that is over you that, that you are called for that purpose. This is a part of, part of the, this method that is there. This is part of the method of even church planting, not people just gathering together and we're in a park and say, okay, well, we're now a church. You know, there needs to be ascending out. There needs to be orderliness in these things. There needs to be people that are raised up, trained, and sent out for this purpose. And there is a requirement that if someone is not called, they are not sent. If someone is, is not qualified, they are not put in a position of leadership. It is necessary that we not be pragmatic. It is necessary that we use the methods that the Lord has given us, the, the methods of the Master. So we see the, the messenger's method, what, what they were called to do, and the Lord called them to work in a certain way, to act in a certain way. And the same is true for us as a church. The Lord has given us a particular way that we are to order ourselves, a way that we are called to act and to exist, rules that we are to live by, the things that we are not to be creative with, just as the Israelites were not to be creative with the temple. They were not to be creative with the tabernacle. They were not to worship any way they felt like at this time, but they were to use worship that God had ordained, that which was regulated by the Word of God. The same is true with the method that is used by the church we must only do that which is written. So we have the messenger's method. Secondly, we, we have the messenger's message. This message that they are declaring, bringing this forward with words, trusting God with the results, verbally speaking this truth. Look at Luke 10, 8 through 12. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick, and it say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, 
we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day for Sodom than for that town. The kingdom of God has come near. That's, that's what they declare to the town as they go in. And, it, and consider what Jesus says there. For those that don't receive them, those that, that, that kick against this message, those who re- refuse to receive this message, it will be more bearable for Sodom than it will be for that town. Remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they were burnt up. The judgment of God fell upon them. That's the warning that is there. For there is not a mere temporal consequence for refusing Jesus. There is not a mere mere consequence in this life for not following Jesus. There is an eternal consequence for refusing the grace that is provided in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are eternal consequences for how you live your life. There are eternal consequences for where you are putting your trust. And that is why it will be worse for them than it was for Sodom. The judgment of God is over them. Christ Jesus is there. Christ Jesus is coming. The Son of God who brought all things into existence from absolutely nothing has clothed Himself in flesh and is dwelling among them. And is there the one who was prophesied has come forward and He is there. And there is a refusal, and so great is the judgment on such a person. But these 70 that were sent forward, these 70 that were sent forward, these ones that that went forward and, and were declaring this message that they were given, declaring the message that the kingdom of God has come near, that the Lord Jesus Christ is here, the one who was prophesied is here, who has come forward is amongst them, the one who is going to make all things right is here. They were not called to be creative. Notice they, they didn't go out in pairs. You didn't have 35 pairs of people going out into these cities with questionnaires asking them, well, what would you like the kingdom to be like? Or what would you like a church to be like? Or, or how is it that you best think that we could establish and set up a kingdom? There are so many church growth strategies that seek to use such a method where people are going about with questionnaires and finding all the idols of a culture, finding all the idols of a neighborhood, all the errors of a people in a particular area, and they go and they compile all these errors, they compile all of these idols, and they go and they create a church and they operate a church following after such idols. They were not commanded to use such methods. That was not their message. Their message was not one of inquiry. Their message was not one asking the question, how is it that we can make the kingdom more palatable to the people here that despise the king? That is not their role, they were to declare the kingdom of God. They were declaring the message that God had given to them. 
They were declaring the message of the great problem in the world, the, the problem of sin, the consequences of sin, the ways in which sin has affected every aspect of human life. It has affected your health. It has affected your mind. It has affected your desires. It has affected your relationships. It has affected your family. All aspects of humanity, cultures have been affected by sin. They're declaring this message. They're declaring this great problem. They are declaring the bad news that the people could make preparation. This message is one declaring the need of this Messiah. Christ Jesus, the one who is coming forward, the one who will visit this town, be making preparation. If you would be making preparation in a town for a great Roman leader, for a tetrarch coming in, there would be preparation that would be made. They would make sure the roads were clear, make sure there was safety. They would be making sure that people were there so the ruler doesn't just show up and then no one's there. Caesar coming into the town. Imagine Caesar comes into the town and everybody just goes on with their business. And if you would make preparation for a president or a governor, if you would make preparation for a Caesar, some great ruler, how much more, how much more should there be preparation for the Lord Jesus Christ? How much more should there be preparation made for the one who has given you life? For the one who has given you life, has given you breath, and you have used the breath that he's given you. You have used the life that he's given you. You have used the blessings and gifts that he's given you to sin against him more and more. How much more should you be making preparation? Oh, the first preparation that needs to be made, needs to be made is to see their need of him to see the necessity of His coming, for them to see that He is not coming here just to support all of the sinful activity that we are in. He's not coming forward into this town merely just to encourage us in our idolatry. No, they were not going forward as messengers into these towns really just to woo the people in that culture to bring a method, a message that they would desire through methods that they were most accustomed to, they were to declare the message of Christ. They were to use the methods that God commanded them to use, and they were to leave the results up to the Lord. The Lord will be glorified. The Lord is the sovereign. The Lord is the one who has commissioned them. The Lord is the one who has dictated their methods. The Lord is the one who has declared their message. They are merely ambassadors. We must see that even now because the temptation is here in the culture now to use methods that God has not ordained, to have practices of worship that are contrary to what the Word of God says, to have your trust in that which is not the gospel. What does, what does Paul say about the gospel what does Paul say about this good news that requires that we first share the bad news that you can understand the good news? That's exactly Paul's method, by the way. When you read the book of Romans, he tells you the bad news in Romans 1. He tells you the bad news in Romans 3. You need to know the bad news that you can understand the good news that he begins to unpack there in Romans 5. 
He's unpacking it throughout it, but we really see justification coming forward there in Romans chapter 5. But what does Paul say about the gospel? It says it is the power of God unto salvation. It is the power of God unto salvation. Not acts of charity, not acts of goodness, any act of charity or goodness that you're doing to a particular people at a particular time needs to be for the purpose of bringing that person to an understanding of their greater problem, which is their relationship with God. That is what the problems in life do. That is the goodness of life's problems. That is the goodness of life's tragedies many times is that in that you see your greater problem. You see a greater relationship that is damaged, and that is your relationship with God. You recognize that these problems exist within the world because of the sin, because of the consequences of sin, because of the effects of sin upon people and their relationships in their lives. What else does Paul say about the gospel? Because you could say, well, that doesn't make sense to do it this way in this culture, or it doesn't make sense to do it that way in this culture. This particular culture really likes to worship a God by bowing down to images and statues. Should we not appeal to them in some way? Should we not appease those desires in some way? The answer is no. They are not God's method. That is not communicating God's message. God is invisible. You must not make something and say, look, here is God. You cannot see God, but He always sees you, right, children? Is that not the catechism question? But what does Paul say about the gospel? You begin to ask yourself, well, maybe it doesn't make sense just to use the gospel here, but Paul says the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's not as though, okay, in the first century, preaching the gospel really just made a lot of sense at that time, but now we've got to do things a little differently in this particular cultural context. No, the message is the same. The preaching of the gospel made even less sense in the first century. Do you know how offensive the cross was in the first century? Do you realize that a young man sitting at the dinner table saying the word cross, declaring the Greek word sarkos at the table, he he would get slapped. That would be an offense to everyone. That was a curse word. That of greatest offense. That which should not even be stated in polite company. That which was the, the greatest of all Roman execution methods was the method that the Lord used. That which was most offensive in that culture, that is what the Lord used to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. They were not decorating their houses, their places of worship with crosses at that time. This was offensive. The Lord used that which was foolish to the world to bring people to life. So what happens then? It is like the Israelites marching around Jericho using such a method. And and what happens when they do that? And they defeat those that are in Jericho. They are are successful. They are victorious. So the glory be to God. To God be the glory for this victory. And so it is true as well. So it is true as well in the gospel and using God's methods and declaring God's message to God be the glory, the ambassadors that are going forward. 
Their goal is not to dress up this message. Their goal is not to make the message more appealing to the people. They have a message that is offensive. The gospel is offensive. Oh, the world religions, as we've seen, how they will so cling to Jesus and say they believe in Jesus, but it needs to be a Jesus that accepts, you know, tolerates them continuing in their sinful behaviors, tolerates them walking in idolatry, a Jesus that accepts their acts of righteousness, justifies them through their acts of righteousness. The gospel is offensive because it tells man there's nothing good you can do. You are completely lost. You are hopeless. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. And God has given to us a method and a message that transcends cultures. Cultures will be created and uprooted because of the work of the gospel uh, through the methods that God has given. We have seen that historically. And glory be to God for that. But it is not bound to any particular culture in particular. It is not bound to any particular culture. It transcends culture. Janice and I were in California two summers ago. We were in Anaheim, and we were visiting Trinity Reformed Baptist Church in La Miranda, California. As Sam Renahan is uh, one of the pastors there, he'll actually be speaking at our conference coming up here in October. And we had much work in the days ahead as we were there and going forward. We had the SBC convention that we were going to be working in during that time. And I said, you know what, I just, I just want to spend the day in the house of the Lord because there's much difficulty and stress that we will have going forward. And we looked at the schedule that they had, and they didn't have Sunday school during the summer, um, but they did have a Spanish service. And I went to the Spanish service. Janice and I both went to the Spanish service. And they went through their order of worship. We, went, we, we stayed there the whole day, but we made sure we showed up at 8.30 to go to the Spanish service. And it was, it was a great blessing to be amongst the brothers and the sisters. And I can tell you this, although I took two years of Spanish in high school, I can't do much more than order something off of a menu or find my way to the restroom. But I was able to, even though I knew not what they were saying many times in this service, I knew exactly what they were doing at every single point in the service. At any point, I know, okay, they're reading from the Scriptures here. Oh, they're doing a catechism now. I can tell that's what they're doing. Okay, they're, we're singing. I know what that is. They're preaching. We have the Lord's Supper. Each of these elements I was able to recognize, they transcended culture. There may be slight difference in musical styles. There may be slight differences in how, where people meet and the organization of, of the things that they do. We call these, these circumstances of worship. But the elements of worship, the elements of worship are going to be the same if done rightly. If you're ordering a church after God's methods, if you're using the message that God has given to us to declare, there are going to be elements of service that are completely the same. And so, if you are in a, a church here in the United States, or if you're in a church in Africa, or if you're in a church in China, or if you're in a church in the Netherlands, it should be completely the same. And I know that some of you have traveled, and you've traveled for work, and you, you've seen these realities. Our weapons that we have here are spiritual. Our weapons here are, are spiritual, and, and, and we're, we're to be ambassadors. And so, an ambassador is one who is declaring the message, declaring the message that the sovereign has given to you. 
The ambassador is not to change the message, to adjust the message, to, to make it in a different way. And we have so many that are seeking to establish churches and, and, and use the idols of a culture to build up that church and to, to grow that church. This is not beneficial for the people that would gather. You must remember that that which you are using to draw people into your church, that which you are using to call people into your church, to join your church, is that which you will need to keep them there. They are commissioned to go forward and use the Lord's methods and bring the message that the Lord has declared for them to give. That is the necessity. And that is, that is but our, our trust here. That is but our hope. Because there, there is an offense to the message. And we see that here in the third point. The, the messenger's warning. There is an offense to the message This message declares that there is a problem with you, that if you stay on your curtain path, your friend, if you stay going down the pathway that you are on, there are going to be eternal consequences. There are going to be effects upon you. The last verse in John 3 says, those who are not trusting in Christ Jesus, the wrath of God is over them. So we see this warning here. Beginning in verse 13, it says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted in heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects me The one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. These are harsh words. These are words that should give you pause. Are you one that falls into this category? Are you one that's here? Focus on this last portion here. Are you one who is despising the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you one who is despising the message of Jesus Christ? Perhaps you see something about the messenger that you don't quite like. You see some error. You see some inconsistency. You don't like something about the method of how it is being presented. Perhaps there's many that could say it much better, certainly. But the problem is with the master that sent the message. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, Jesus is saying that if they have a problem with your methods and the message, if they have a problem with the methods and the message that you are using, the problem is not with you. The problem is with me. And to have a problem with Christ is to have a problem with God. To despise Christ is to despise the only means God has given. There is a consequence for rejecting the message. There is a consequence for continuing to walk in your sin. The warning is there. The warning is there, dear friends. Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 11. He says this, I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky, fled away, and there was no place, there was no place, no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open, and then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. 
and the sea gave up its dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the great and awesome promise that is given there. If anyone's name is not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There is a time for man to die and then the judgment. In your life, dear friends, you have a desire for justice. You have a desire for things to be made right. If someone takes, steals your car, you call the police. You want things to be put right and put in order. But natural man is duplicitous. He wants one rule over here for others, and he wants another rule for himself. But it's not so with the Lord. The Lord is immutable. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's why His message needs not change. His methods need not change depending on the culture, depending on the person that you're talking to. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. You may not come to the Father except through Him. It is impossible to come to God except through Jesus Christ. And that is the message that we're declaring to you, dear friends. This is the message, dear friends, that we desire for you to declare other people. This is the only means that God has given whereby you can be saved. You must see this reality. You must see the consequence of sin. You must see your hopelessness. Your hopelessness. And in standing before God, that white throne judgment that I, that I just read of, and you're going to stand before God in your own righteousness and your own goodness. And what argument will you make for the sin that you have done? You're going to tell him nobody's perfect? That will not help you before a righteous and a holy God. You try that before a judge sitting on the bench here in Harris County. You say, well, nobody's perfect. Yeah, nobody's perfect. But that's not why you're here. You're here because you broke the law. There's a consequence to breaking the law. And breaking the law here in this culture, there's a temporal consequence, but breaking God's law, there's an eternal consequence. If you die in your sin, dear friends, your fate will be what we read. Your fate will be being thrown into the lake of fire. But if you see your sin, you have a hatred of it. You recognize that God hates it, that God displeases it. You remember those, those laws that we read here. Those are the Ten Commandments. That is how you love God and love people. Your problem is you don't love God right. You don't love people right. And God's law is like a mirror. And, and it, is, it is offensive to the man that sees it and sees the way that he, 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 he is breaking it and he tries to grasp at all these straws, tries to find all these ways of justifying himself by well, nobody's perfect or at least I didn't do this. But the standard is there before you. The standard is perfection, and you have broken it. And there is no hope in yourself. But you cannot attain righteousness through your own actions. You were born into the world dead in your trespasses and sins. You need one to act on your behalf. You need an advocate that would stand for you. You need one who would stand for you before God. Say, his sin has been placed upon me. 
you will see your sin, if you will recognize the ways you have broken God's law, and if you will trust in Christ, recognizing that in Jesus Christ the fullness, the consequences of sin was placed upon him, that whoever trusts in him, that wrath of God has fallen upon Christ. That is the propitiation. If you will see that Christ has fulfilled the law in every respect, all of these laws that you've broken, he never broke. He kept the law perfectly to attain a righteous reward for all of his people, for all who would trust in him. If you but trust in him, you will be a new person. You will be changed. You will be affected. You will spend eternity with Christ Jesus, and you will stand there before God based upon his righteousness. Like the thief on the cross, this day you will be with me in paradise. That will be your promise. To be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. Praise be God. Praise the Lord to stand before Him in Christ's righteousness. Woe to you if you stand before the Lord in your own righteousness. Woe to you if you stand before the Lord without Christ as your advocate. Woe to you if you stand before the Lord in your trespasses and sins. Come to Christ. See the goodness in Christ. See the blessing of Christ. Believe upon Him and receive that grace that is there for all who will come to Him.